Hello, this is Andy Cates, Senior Economist at Haver Analytics, and I'm joined once again today by Tian Yong Wu, uh, Asian Economist from Singapore. Today, we're going to talk about the Fed, some of the global economic data and how financial markets have been responding. Uh, we're going to touch again on the issues that are plaguing the flow of trade through the Red Sea by some recent work from Tian Yong. Uh, and we're going to look forward to the week ahead with some high-profile data points landing in the US and Europe over the next couple of days. Uh, and if we have some time, we, we might touch too on China um, in light of recent market instability and some ongoing concerns about the plight of its property developers. Just a reminder before we kick off that all of the views that we express on this podcast are our own. They're not the views of Haber Analytics. So let me just kick off with a word or two about markets and macro. Uh, if you haven't been following the ebb and flow of the daily macro and market news cycles, um, that we've seen bond markets sort of move into reverse over the past few days. Yields had been climbing in the opening weeks of this year as, as investors re-evaluated the scope for central banks to swiftly pivot toward looser monetary policy. Uh, but the combination of inflation-friendly economic data and arguably a dovish pivot from the ECB last week uh, have seen a trend toward lower yields re-establish itself. In the meantime, some decent corporate earnings news, as well as lower yields, have kept most major equity markets humming. Uh, soft landing narratives, in other words, have been uh, very much in vogue. Now, the Fed last night initially threw a bit of a spanner into the works on that narrative. The comments from Fed Chair Powell ruling out a rate cut in March, in particular, disappointed dovish investors and generated a market sell-off. Now, that being said, as I think the bond market sort of woke up to, um, there was still very little in his statement to dispel the idea that rate cuts from the US are coming very shortly. Now, as all of this uh, was sort of unfolding over the past few days, several of my colleagues and I were pulling together the latest consensus survey of blue chip financial forecasts. Some of the key takeaways include a 40% probability from blue chip panelists on the likelihood of a US recession in the next 12 months, but a roughly 55% probability on a recession in the euro area in the UK. Perhaps more significantly, at least from a market perspective, uh, policy easing is on the whole still expected to commence uh, in the US and Europe within the next few months. And specifically when pressed, uh, our panelists suggested a kickoff time um, of the second quarter of this year. So the question all of that begs is, you know, how could that kind of market and economist consensus be wrong? And my view, at least as far as the economic side is concerned, I think we need to look pretty carefully at how the US consumer behaves over the next few months. But clearly in the near term, uh, another potential spanner in the works um, is the instability in the Middle East. And so that leads me on to you, Tianyong, and some of the work that you've been doing on supply chains. Thank you, Andy. Yes, indeed. Um, in relation to the ongoing tensions in the Red Sea and resulting supply chain disruptions, we are already starting to see their impacts show up in the numbers. For one, some reports indicate that nearly all of the container ship traffic through the Red Sea has been forced to reroute amid the conflict. What we can also see from earlier numbers is that Red Sea maritime trade volumes have already more than halved in early January from levels seen in late October, uh, based on data provided by the Kew Institute. 
Meanwhile, global rail trade was estimated to have fallen by about 1.9% through November and December. So the worry now relates to what delayed shipment times due to forced rerouting from the Red Sea will bring. A possible impact relates to slowed exports from Asian economies to Europe and beyond, given how the Red Sea has been often used as a shortcut to deliver goods to Western markets. Another possible impact relates to increased shipment costs, which may feed onto commodity prices. The increased prices may in turn stoke more inflation, which may deter central banks from prematurely easing policy. And finally, continued monetary policy tightness may then exacerbate the current soft state of certain Asian economies. Over to you, Andy. Yep, that, that's um, uh, noteworthy. And, and I, I think from my side, and we've said this on the podcast um, over the last couple of weeks, um, the fact that um, energy prices, I mean, specifically oil prices, to a lesser extent, natural gas prices, they, they remain fairly well behaved uh, at the moment. There's been some discussion about um, inventory levels in Europe, that they're quite high. Um, uh, and equally, there's been some discussion about the role of soft global demand. But the fact that energy prices remain fairly well behaved for now, I, I think is is good news and perhaps ought to kind of mitigate some of the downside risks that some of that other data and some of those other issues um, that you've just mentioned might otherwise generate. Um, let's now turn, though, to, to some of the key issues and events to look out for in the week ahead. I mean, I'm going to be quite brief on this. Um, and as we discussed again in the call last week, um, European inflation and U.S. payrolls um, are going to feature very heavily in the market mindset over the next couple of days. Um, I think most investors, based on what we've seen so far from, for instance, the country-specific European inflation data from some of the sort of private sector surveys of labour market activity in the US, um, are, are, are anticipating um, further kind of soft landing type data um, from both areas. In other words, data showing that inflation continues to slow in Europe uh, and that labour markets continue to cool in the United States. Um, but what about Asia, Tianyong? You know, we've had some PMI surveys in China over the past few days, of course. Um, we've seen um, concerns again about the country's property developers. And um, what's your take on all of that? Yes, thank you again, Andy. Yes, um, we saw China's uh, official uh, manufacturing PMI readings come in slightly higher at uh, 49.2 in January. Although it, it is an improvement, um, but with, with the latest reading remaining below the neutral level of 50 indicates that China's manufacturing sector uh, remains in contraction. So on the flip side, China's official services PMI firm to 50.7, indicating a quickened pace of expansion. Uh, but looking beyond the official readings, uh, the Taising manufacturing PMI measure, which is based on the sample of comparatively smaller sized companies, uh, was little changed at 50.8. Uh, like you said, Andy, there was also news of uh, the Hong Kong court's order for China property giant Evergrande to be liquidated. So despite uh, the high-profile news, uh, the headline is just one of the many that has been flooding China's property sector for years now, um, as the sector you know, seemingly falls apart in slow motion. So analysts will now likely want to know just how this liquidation process will go. Um, first and foremost, given that there's no precedent uh, been yet set for a dissolution of such a skill. I mean, among so many other concerns. Yeah, that's right. all from me. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's not the last time that we'll be talking about China's property yeah. over the next um, few weeks. Um, 
Uh, otherwise, just from my side, next week, there's, there's very little to shout about, to be honest with you, on the data front in, in either the US um, or Europe. Um, but it is another busy week ahead for Asia. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed. So um, in, in the Asia-Pacific, uh, we are once again in for uh, yet another busy week uh, as several monetary policy decisions come due. So specifically, the central banks of Australia, India and Thailand, they are scheduled to decide on policy rates, uh, with analysts largely expecting no rate changes to result. Um, rather, analysts are likely to continue eyeing any language hinting at the timing of possible rate cuts on the horizon instead. So apart from the central bank decisions, markets will also likely look to China's January inflation readings and the Tising Services PMI readings uh, for other queues. So additionally, Indonesia sees its Q4 GDP uh, to be released on Monday, while New Zealand unveils its labour market report on Wednesday. And also next week, uh, several Asian economies will start to celebrate uh, the Lunar New Year. So there'll be quite a few holidays towards from the mid to end of the week. Yeah, That's all for um, me. Yeah. Including in Singapore? Um, let's, oh, yeah. leave <laughs> let's leave it there for today and um, thanks everyone for listening in um, further analysis on these issues can be found in our latest charts of the week publication and in our um, Asian economic letter um, otherwise just please take a look out too for our latest newsletter with all the updates on data and software um, which was published um, late on Wednesday have a great week ahead